Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Reed Schweitzer, CEO of Hopscotch, a payments platform for small businesses that's raised nearly $10 million in funding. Reed, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we, uh, we can set this up. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, so a little bit of an unorthodox founder in the B2B payment space, 22 years old, dropped out of Warden to found Hopscotch. And the company is really the brainchild of my experiences building an apparel company early on in high school alongside, you know, a few friends, as well as serving as operations lead at a music streaming startup founded by the former CFO, Combs Enterprises. Wow, very cool. So let's dig into that. You're a 22-year-old entrepreneur. I think that makes you the youngest entrepreneur that we've had out of uh, 140 episodes we've recorded. So thanks for being here. Great. I'm glad, I, uh, you know, hopefully in a few years, maybe someone comes along and takes that title for me. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Now, two questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a leader. First one is what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Yeah, I mean, this one, unfortunately, may be a little bit of a hot take nowadays, but I've always been a Elon Musk fan. So maybe, a, <laughs> you know, maybe that's pretty common. But, you know, I, I think what I admire about him is sort of his unrelenting pursuit of his goals, right? Like, he sets out to accomplish really the most challenging things. And no matter what's thrown in his way, he always seems to find a way to make it happen. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people on this planet that can say they've achieved the sorts of things that, that he has. And so I don't know, there's just something magical about what he's able to do as a CEO and, and get people to rally together and, and build the impossible. Yeah, have to agree there completely. And it's so crazy to me how that's become so controversial. Like, obviously, yeah, he says some dumb things from time to time. But I think all of us probably do. But if you just look at what he's built, his track record and his impact, I'm just always surprised in the media and like the critics that you know continue to bash him as if what he's doing is not going to be successful or that he's going to fail. But he just seems to win over and over and over again and really just seems to be unstoppable, which I really admire. Yeah, I mean, he, he has his work cut out for him on uh, Twitter, but we'll see how that shakes out in the next couple of years. But Everything prior, you know, everyone looks at, you know, pretty fondly. So, yep, have to agree. Now, what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you? You know, I'm actually going to answer this question in a different way, which is, you know, a book that, that I'm excited about. I was just introduced to this book over the weekend from a friend called Rise and Kill First. It's about the Israeli sort of governments, <laughs> the assassinations that they've been involved in over the course of the last century or so. I'm a big fan of history. I love politics. I love, you know, military and things like that. So a bit of a nerd on that front. And, you know, this book is is super exciting. So I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into it. And what was the name of the book? It's called Rise and Kill First. Okay, nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a history nerd as well. I don't know if you saw in our video, but in my background, I have my Napoleon statue. I'm uh, obsessed with Napoleon personally and have listened to all the podcasts about him, read a bunch of his books, and they're always so... Uh, so interesting. And it's so fun to look back in history. I think you can just learn a lot. Definitely. I actually, I'm a big snowboarder as well. And on my snowboard is a prince of Napoleon. That is the, the key figure on the board. So 
Um, that's nice. Really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's epic. Now let's talk origin story. So when did you have the idea for Hopscotch? I mean, it's something that was sort of festering over the course of, you know, a few years. As I mentioned, you know, I got my start building an apparel company, you know, dealing with our manufacturers and, and so on. You know, that was really my first introduction to B2B payments, at least managing, you know, the finances of a business. And during that whole process, you know, it was pretty antiquated. Like all of our manufacturers wanted payment via paper check. We're doing all of our cash flow management, you know, on a spreadsheet. And I just kind of thought, you know, this is the way that business is done. And I, I didn't think too much about it. Fast forward to when I started working at that music streaming startup as an operations lead. You know, the founder of that company was the former CFO of Combs Enterprises. And, you know, just getting sort of an idea of how they were managing their payments, seeing them use these online systems like Bill.com, you know, QuickBooks invoicing, et cetera. It became pretty clear to me that, you know, these online platforms or software really weren't much better than these antiquated, you know, systems that I was using in the apparel space. And so as a member of Gen Z, you know, I love Cash App, Venmo, use it on a daily basis to pay my friends, family and so on. And that experience is magical, right? Like these companies do such a good job at moving money between individuals. And it just became really, really clear that the B2B space lagged behind. And so, you know, as I thought more and more millennials, Gen Zers stepping into the workforce, building their own companies, becoming freelancers, you know, if you put a Venmo or Cash App up against a bill.com or QuickBooks invoicing, they're going to choose, you know, that Venmo or Cash App every time. And so that was really the underlying thesis is let's take all the things people love about these consumer platforms, throw in some of the business utility that's required and, you know, hopscotch is the result. Nice. I love that. I'll admit, you know, we are bill.com users, but I hate bill.com. Anytime that I find myself in that platform, it just feels so clunky and confusing. And it, yeah, it's not in line with the, you know, apps that I interact with on a, you know, day to day basis just as a consumer. So glad to hear someone's really tackling this. Well, I, you're not in the minority. I'll tell you that. I think the only, (laughs) the only people I've, I've spoken to that love bill.com are accountants and, the majority of small business owners and freelancers out there don't have that background. So <laughs> it's kind of funny to hear that. Now, what types of small businesses are you targeting? Is there like a range of you know, maybe less than 50 employees or how do you think about that criteria and your ICP? Yeah. So, you know, this is really interesting because we've spent the last, I mean, year or so going back and forth on this. The reason I say that is because the problem of paying and getting paid isn't a problem that is specific to a single vertical, right? This is something that extends across verticals. It extends, you know, across anyone that's, you know, conducting business. And so, you know, when we thought about Hopscotch, we really wanted to build the platform in a horizontal way. So what I mean by that is that every business, you know, can find some sort of value from the platform that we're building and they can use it for their specific use case. That being said, if you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. So we first had to start, you know, this initial sort of ICP. And for us, that's going to be freelancers in the creatives, right? Not creators. And we've also started to see some pretty great adoption from their clients, which are typically going to be boutique branding agencies, marketing agencies, uh, and so on. So really focused on the creative space. It's about a 60-40 split freelancers to small businesses. And the great thing about, you know, going after this vertical is they work with so many other industries, right? Like a branding agency could work with a law firm one day, 
and, you know, a software company or, you know, mom and pop shop the next day. So by going after them, we're seeing these strong network effects and being able to grow to other verticals over time. And does someone, if they receive an invoice, then do they have to sign up for Hopscotch in order to pay it? They do not. That is a great question. So as a Hopscotch user, you sign up, you create your account, you know, you get this really cool business profile with a banner image, profile image, about information, all of that good stuff. And you have access to our payments network. And so what that means is you have access to, of course, all of the other users that are on our platform, but as well as all of the other clients and vendors that have been added to our network. And you can transact with those clients and vendors through their profile on our platform. And they'll just receive an email because they don't have an account on Hopscotch, but they have been added to our ecosystem. So if you want to send an invoice to a client that's not on Hopscotch, all you need is their email address. They'll be able to make payment to you. You know, they don't have to sign up, although it'd be great if they did. And you'll still get essentially fast zero fee access to those funds. Nice. I love that. Yeah, that's always been a frustration on my end when yeah, you have a, a company sign up for a new tool and then you have to go and sign up for you know a totally different platform in order to pay them. It just creates a lot of friction. So glad to hear you're not uh you're you're reducing or eliminating that friction. A hundred percent. That's the name of the game. Any friction that's there, we want to eliminate it. We're always engaging with our users to make sure that, you know, hey, if they run into anything that's causing them problems, that we go in and fix it. We have a great engineering team too. Um, these guys and gals are, are legendary. They, they put in you know the hours, they get things done, ship high quality features and enhancements all the time. So we're always improving. Nice, I love that. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now, take me back to some of those investor pitches. So how old were you when you raised the round? Were you 22 or were you 21 at the time? <laughs> I was 20 at the time. It was before I raised it right around my 21st birthday. So, which I have a funny wow. story about that, but you know. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear the story. I mean, so none of the investors really knew my age. And, and frankly, you know, I don't like talking about my age because regardless of what people say, as soon as you say you're a younger, you know, founder, their perception if you changes, even if they don't recognize it, there's always going to be this change in perception. So I've been a bit wary of talking about my age. But anyway, the funny story is, you know, I was at this investor meeting, you know, we're wrapping up our round. It was a week before my 21st birthday or something like that. They go in, we're about to close the deal. And, you know, they wanted to go out and celebrate. And so they asked me, hey, do you want to go out, grab a drink, you know, so on and so forth. Again, it's before my 21st birthday. And so they thought I was like 28 at the time. They didn't realize I was young, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, you know, but they thought I was much older. So I had to make the decision to like go out to get drinks and potentially have to show a fake ID, which I did not have. Or, you know, just say, you know, I'm busy and, you know, we'll do it another time, maybe in a, in a week's time after I'm 21. But yeah, that was just a, a funny moment for me and, and something I'll remember for, for a long time. Nice. That's super funny. Now, you said, you know, when age comes up and, and not to spend too much time on this, but, you know, you said when it comes up, there's a perception. Is that always a negative perception or do you sometimes get a, a positive perception of, wow, you know, this guy must be onto something. He's you know, a young genius, you know, building this amazing company, seeing all this traction. Like, 
Is it always negative or is that sometimes positive and, and something that you can use to your advantage? I mean, I think it like ages like fine wine, right? I think in the early days when you go into a meeting and, you know, age does come up, you know, there's just going to be this sort of question about whether or not this person that may not have decades of experience can actually go out there, recruit talent that's, you know, maybe twice their age, build a really great team and manage a business that's worth millions of dollars, right? As an investor, I would be asking those questions. It's a big risk. And so as someone who is younger and someone who has a lot of younger, you know, founder friends, I can tell you that, you know, we have to work that much harder to build trust with our investors, to build trust with the market and prove that we are in fact capable and know what we're doing. Now, that being said, right, every year that you're still alive and, and kicking and, you know, making things happen, I think the fact that you started at an earlier age works to your benefit. So, you know, two years from now, the fact that I started and raised my first round when I was 20, you know, people are going to be like, great, he knows what he's doing. He's still here. It's been you know, four or five years and, you know, he's learned a lot and he's proven he's capable. But again, in the early days when you're just starting out, I don't want to be naive. Being a younger founder makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah, I can see that. And it makes a lot of sense. Now, let's just talk about trust in general, because trust is hard for startups. It doesn't matter if the founder is 22, 42 or 62. Trust is always going to be hard for a startup. So what have you done to really build trust with the market as a company? You know, I think for us, there's really two things. I think number one is going to be having a high level of conviction in, in your vision and what you're building, right? I think inherently as you're younger, there's this tendency to view age and to view experience as that person knows what things should look like, how things should be done, and so on, right? And, and for quite commonly, that, that can very well be the case. But you also have to know you know, how to trust your gut and how to execute against your vision. And so what I'm trying to say here is that to build trust in the market, you have to have a very clear vision. You have to have conviction in your vision and you can't let people sway you away from that vision, right? Because the second you start to falter is the second people start to second guess whether or not you really know what you're trying to do and really know what you're trying to achieve. So have conviction, always trust your gut. And then the second piece is transparency. So, you know, on that note about trusting your gut and not being swayed, you also have to be transparent, transparent in what you don't know and, you know, what you think may be right, but, you know, still aren't 100% sure on. Transparency in terms of how the business is doing, right? Are things going well? Are things going bad? You know, I'll be the first to tell my investors that, hey, this isn't working. You know, I may not know what to do, but here's a few solutions on how we can approach it and let's workshop this together. And so I think what we've done a really great job at at Hopscotch is we have conviction in what we're building. We know it's a real difference maker, right? And we're constantly iterating, but we're also super transparent. We know, you know, what things are working, what things aren't. And we're not afraid to tell the world, hey, we need some help on this. Or, you know, what do you guys think? And if you can do those two things well, I think you can build a brand for yourself, for your company and be successful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, one thing I've always struggled with is this idea of, you know, you have to have a vision, then you have to have conviction in that vision. But at the same time, you also have to be ready to adapt and evolve as you bring something to market. So how do you balance like those two things? Because they're like, they kind of conflict with one another sometimes. They do. It's hard. It's not easy. You know, I spoke about this a little bit in the past. And, you know, of course, going into this, I had my own vision, right? And, and still do. And it hasn't changed very much. 
you know, thankfully we've seen some good traction from the market, but I'm not married to that vision. I know things are going to change and I have this acceptance that things will change. And so, you know, when things come up, so for example, if we're looking at a user flow and we see drop off at a certain point, and maybe that certain point is due to, you know, core piece of functionality of the platform, I'll take a step back from my vision and what I think it should look like, which is that current state of the platform that's causing issues and try to look at it from the user's perspective and just be as unbiased as possible. And so I think as a founder, if you can get really good at stepping into other people's shoes and just disassociating from your own beliefs and your own perspective, it'll be a lot easier to iterate and a lot easier to, you know, reach that end goal in the long run. So that's how I try to just <laughs> throw my ideas out the window, look at it from a different perspective, see if I can validate it. If not, then work backwards from there. Amazing. I love that. That's very good advice and a good way of thinking about it. Now, are there any numbers that you can share that just highlight some of that growth and traction that you've seen since launching? Yeah, I mean, so we launched at the end of September. It's been about, I don't know, what, five months, just about. We grew to 1,000 users at the end of last year, and we doubled that number in January. So we've seen some pretty consistent growth over the last you know, few months. We've seen some pretty strong network effects, about 6.5% of all businesses who receive an invoice or bill payment from a Hopscotch user convert and actually sign up for the platform. And that was as of Q422. So we've seen some good growth. We've seen some good traction. We've seen some strong network effects. The team is iterating quickly and we're excited about what this year holds for us. Wow, that's amazing. And that's certainly exciting growth. What do you attribute to that success? Because you know, I know we talked about trust earlier, but to talk about another challenge with startups is just breaking through the noise. I think especially in this B2B payment space, there is a lot of noise. So what are you getting right? You know, how are you rising above all that noise? So this is actually goes back to one of my early theses as a founder, which is the best way to sell anything really isn't to sell it. It's to brand. So that means to tell stories about what you're building, right? And to you know, have a good identity around what you're building. What is the business about? You know, what is the mission? What does your identity look like? What colors are you using? What does your, you know, font look like, right? And so really creating this strong identity across, you know, messaging as well as visuals to help tell your story. And, you know, early on, Hopscotch invested in branding and we worked with this agency called Motto, which is absolutely fantastic in creating these brand strategies. And we thought long and hard about how do we tell the story about Hopscotch? We're not just a payments platform, right? We don't want to be another, you know, piece of utility in the back office. We want to create this money movement, right? This sort of forward motion. We want to be a part of culture. And I think Cash App does this really, really well. And so, you know, for us, I think we've seen a lot of success in our brand, a lot of success in our messaging. We're trying to be a lot more fun, a lot more out there than traditional, you know, business software. And, you know, we also invest pretty heavily in content. We have our director of content strategy, Brett Lawrence, who came from Better Mortgage, an absolute wizard at what she does. And we try to just be genuinely helpful and provide value beyond our core offering. So we do that in the form of ebooks, you know, how to blog posts. We create email templates on how to, you know, sort of navigate awkward situations you might find yourself in with, you know, a client or vendor. And so all of this together, I think, has built a lot of trust among our users is we're just a genuinely helpful brand, right? And we really want to see our users succeed. And, you know, I think this is going to compound over the next several years 
And, you know, ultimately we will be a part of culture. Nice. I love that. You know, a guest who was on a few weeks ago who had raised a few hundred million, they told me that they're in the education business, despite the fact that they were in cybersecurity. And I thought that was a very interesting way to view it. And his take was that every business is going to be in the education business, regardless of the products that they sell. And when I was reading through your blog earlier today, that's really how I felt as well. You know, it's not product related stuff. It's not just trying to you know, push people to use hopscotch. It's really good, high level educational content. So I think you're really embracing that approach and you guys are doing a great job. Yeah. And I, I got to say, check back in about a month or so on that blog where we have been redoing our website. You know, we launched our website early on in the company's life and, you know, the product has evolved a ton, our messaging, all of it. And our new site coming in the next, you know, few weeks uh, to a month or so is going to have this really cool education section. And when people land on this page, I want it to feel like it's almost a company in and of itself, right? This is a place where you go to learn, you go to discover new information, um, you know, figure out how to enhance your business operations and so on. So not just the standard blog, like really taking it to the next level with videos, audio files, you know, templates, all of that good stuff. So you're exactly right. Nice. Well, I'll check back in a couple of weeks and, and see how it looks. So excited to see that. Now let's talk about market category. So I introduced you as a payments platform for small business. That seems to be very broad. Uh, how do you think about your market category? For you, is this going to be a category creation play eventually? Or is this all about just going and taking away business from the, the bill.coms of the world? Yeah, I mean, it really is a category creation play. In the long run, I think we really are defining our own category. Part of that has to do with our business profiles and some of the you know products and features around those profiles that we plan on launching in the coming years. So I definitely think we are creating our own category, but not naive in the near term. You know, we are this payments play. I'd say really more in the space of invoicing and bill pay. And so that does mean that we run up against bill.com. It means we run up against PayPal invoicing. And, you know, there's a handful of other, you know, great companies out there doing that. But what I will say is that the market is massive, right? You know, it is really, truly a massive market. A lot of folks are still using these antiquated systems and they're looking for something better. And Hopscotch is that something. And I think the value props that we have on our platform, some of the differentiated features, you know, we've seen real great adoption of them and they've helped us stand, you know, out from the, uh, from the crowd. Amazing. Love it. Now, last question for you. Let's zoom out into the future. Three years from today, what does Hopscotch look like? Ooh, this is a great question. So we really want to be, I think of Hopscotch in two phases. The first phase is all about sort of the finance stack, making payments, making, you know, invoicing, bill pay, reconciling, all of that good stuff. Cash flow management as simple as possible and becoming really the control tower for small business finances. And then phase two is all about community. How do we build strong connections between our users through these business profiles? And there's a lot of really great innovative things, you know, worth we've been thinking about on that front. So in the next three years, I think we'll still be, you know, at the end of phase one, let's say, heading into phase two. And so that being said, I really want to be the control tower for small business finances, right? I think... You know, this is something that you use on a daily basis to collaborate with your team, to manage what's coming in, what's coming out of your business, keep your finger on the pulse. We'll sit on top of your accounting software and we'll update it automatically for you. 
will sit on top of your bank account and you just have to go into hopscotch to manage everything. And, you know, it's a much, you know, simpler and, and more exciting user interface than a lot of, you know, the competitors that are out there today. If we look five years down the line, completely different story. I think there's going to be a lot more that folks can do beyond just managing their small business finances. Wow. Well, you've left us uh, wanting more, so we'll have to bring you back on to, uh, to talk about all that. Reed, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, best place I say I'm most active on LinkedIn. Don't use Twitter too much. So you can find me at Reed Schweitzer on LinkedIn. And then, you know, of course, if you're a freelancer, a small business out there, sign up for Hopscotch, you know, go hopscotch.com, create an account. Your first invoice is on us. If you want to send finance at gohopscotch.com, an invoice with the description frontline for $10, we'll get that paid for you as a, as a sign up bonus. So a little something there for you to take some action and experience what we've been building. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat, share your story and talk about your vision. This has been a super fun conversation and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Definitely. Thank you for having me. All right. Keep in touch.